Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yo, Beth. Yo, Beth. Yo, Beth. That shit crazy. On a Friday! It's all leaving with your boy Barry Grant. You can catch me on Instagram and Twitter at All Even Podcast. You can listen to the show on SoundCloud as well as YouTube. So like, share, and subscribe to that. We have a packed show today. It's a lot of NBA playoff basketball. These playoff matchups are getting intense. Every series has a couple games under their belt now, so we can kind of go into that to see where the series are going. The NBA lottery was last night as well, so we're gonna dive into that. Talk about the top five teams. Mark Jackson and George Call have a Twitter beef going on. We're also going to dive into some football. The Vikings and Dalvin Cook are at an impasse. Chiefs are making some big changes to their particular organization. A star boxer returns to the sport after many years of being out of it. And the greatest segment on the planet, Dummy of the Week. So let's just jump right into it, man. The NBA playoffs are heating up, y'all. It's getting really, really interesting. So like usual, I want to talk about a few playoff matchups and discuss what we've learned in the series so far in these particular matchups. So we got the Rockets Thunder, Blazers Lakers, Clippers Mavs, Celtics Sixers, Heat Pacers, as well as Jazz Nuggets. So I guess we can start with the Jazz Nuggets as the game is going on right now. Jazz are beating the hell out of the Nuggets right now, 90-60. to Mike Conley has returned, and he's cooking. He is playing well. They're up in the third quarter, and it looks like they're going to take a 2-1 to lead in this series. So what have we actually learned in three games in this series? What we've learned is that the Jazz are not dead. Since I've been doing this show, I've been talking about the Jazz. I said that they were one of the worst-looking teams in the bubble. I've said that they, they just don't, they don't look like they're having fun. I don't think Rudy Gobert looks great. I don't think that... The pieces fit together. I think Donovan Mitchell is struggling to find a second guy to kind of help him shoulder the load. A whole bunch of stuff. I've been trashing them. I've been trashing them. What they've showed in this series is that they have found their groove. And why they found their groove is more interesting to me. Denver is not consistent. This is a problem that's been plaguing them all season. When you look at the production, the box scores from Game 2 and now Game 3... Paul Millsap is not giving you anything. Craig is not giving you anything. Jamal Murray has struggled for two straight games now. They're not getting the production that they should be getting from their top guys. And this is why we're having a swing in the series. I'm not saying that Utah is not a good team and what their schemes are. Quinn Snyder is a great defensive coach and he's put in some schemes to kind of frustrate some of the Denver players. 
But when you have guys like Jokic, you're supposed to be able to get production out of them every single game. Jamal Murray, he has dealt with inconsistency issues his entire career. I'm not talking about just in the NBA. I'm talking about in Kentucky as well. And we're seeing that. For him to have such a big game one and literally lead this team to a win and then struggle mightily in game two and now he's struggling even more in game three i'm looking at the box score right now five for 16 27 minutes 12 points that's not good enough to beat anybody this denver team lacks consistency intensity this is the second straight blowout that they're gonna face in a playoff round to a team that looked terrible in the bubble they looked terrible there was no camaraderie with the utah jazz's team and they are railroading denver right now so what does that really say about Denver? They've been this good team all year. Oh, don't don't sleep on Denver. Watch out for Denver. But I always knew this in the back of my head. Okay, yeah, they're good. They're talented. But they're just not consistent enough to make you believe them. What I'm seeing out of Mike Malone as well is really disappointing. I'm not seeing any particular adjustments that he's making that can get them to get a groove. His rotations are bad. The half-court sets are atrocious. He is literally coaching for his job right now. Literally. If they lose in five games, Mike Malone is gone. If they lose in six games, Mike Malone is gone. If they lose in seven games, Mike Malone is gone. Are you catching my drift? They have gone as far as they can go with Mike Malone. He has always been a transitional coach in this particular situation. There is nothing that Mike Malone can go to the Denver Brass and say, give me another shot to work this out. They've seen enough. They've seen enough. They've seen enough inconsistencies out of this team, and this is going to be the end of the road for him. The only way that I can see him actually keeping this job is if he can get Jamal Murray to be the player that they need him to be. And honestly, that ain't going to happen. On to Celtics and Sixers. Celtics are up 2 nothing, and they've looked dominating in this series and why is that two things one they're better coached and two they have a better deeper team the Celtics have Jason Tatum Jalen Brown Kemba Walker Gordon Hayward before he went down Marcus Smart who's a great defensive lockup and his Cantor Grant Williams Brad Wanamaker has been a great story you look at the Philadelphia 76ers roster who they got Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris that's it this roster construction by Elton Brand was god awful I remember when they signed Al Horford to that big deal and I'm wondering why do you think that the Celtics let him go first off they didn't want to pay him that big of money he opted out he did him a favor and then you go ahead and give him a longer contract I don't know what kind of jungle juice he was drinking but it just didn't make sense to me the addition of Josh Richardson was a good move, but his injury history concerned me. I'm like, you got a whole bunch of guys on this team. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Al Horford, all of these guys who have injury history, and you're putting them all on one roster, not to mention it was a very strange construction. It's a very big, bulky, slow team. What do you think was going to happen when you go against faster teams? that have athletic guards, athletic forwards. You're going to struggle. And this is exactly what happened to them all year. They struggled with athletic guards, athletic wingmen. Now, what really compounds the issue is the fact that Ben Simmons is gone. Ben Simmons is gone, and now Joel Embiid has to be
be the guy by himself. Big, big mistake. We saw the first time that Shake Milton got put into the starting lineup in the seeding games. They had a blow up on the sideline where I don't know what Joel Embiid was telling him. Maybe it was some defensive play that he might have missed or maybe he missed Embiid in the post and Embiid wasn't happy about it. But you're showing this kid up already. And he and listen, Shake wasn't backing down. But it shows you the immaturity of Joel Embiid, that he can't handle being the guy. He has a big mouth. He likes to talk a lot of trash. A lot of players don't like him because of it. And when he doesn't produce... People love to rub it in his face. Not to mention that he's in terrible shape. He's never had great conditioning. And for an organization not to be able to get their star player under control in regards to getting his conditioning where it needs to be so he can play down the stretch, down the season without breaking down, that falls on the coach and that falls on Elton Brand. Period. If I was a player and I looked down the row and I saw my star player with his head in his hands and he looks like he's crying... Yo, when we get to the locker room, I'm swinging on him. Because how are we supposed to get up as a team if you look like you're defeated? If you're pouting? I don't want to play with you no more. We're done. The Sixers really have some decisions to make. One, Brett Brown got to go, right? He has to go. They made a mistake in retaining him. They should have got Monty Williams locked in. Monty Williams would have been a great coach for this team. You see what he's doing to Phoenix. The other thing is now you have to decide who are you keeping? Simmons or Embiid I say honestly you gotta keep Simmons I'm not keeping Embiid for what I'm seeing from this guy he is uber talented he has all the talent in the world but he cannot be trusted his attitude sucks he's not a leader so for you to be able to get this guy on the right path it's gonna take way too much effort as an organization to do that I think Ben Simmons is the guy to keep I'm sure you'll be able to get a decent package for Embiid So that's how they should go about this. They got to do something. They got to shake this team up. This team was poorly constructed. And if Elton Brand can't fix it, then his ass got to go too. Next matchup we got is Heat Pacers. Heat are up 2-0 in the series. And what we've learned from this particular series is the Miami Heat are just tougher. They are a gritty team. They just grind out every particular possession. And when you have a guy like Jimmy Butler that can close a game for you, that's everything. The Pacers don't have a closer. They don't have a guy that can be able to keep them close. Oladipo was a great player, but he's not actually back yet. He's not back 100%. He doesn't have that that explosiveness that he had pre-injury. And it takes time. Also is the three-point shooting. The Heat can stroke it, man. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Dragic. Olenek and Crowder can hit it as well. They have a lot of guys that can hit that three. And in this NBA, when you have more guys that can hit threes than the other team, you're going to be in a good spot. The matchup between TJ Warren and Butler has been amusing. It's been really fun to watch that as well. But TJ Warren, he's just not up to the task right now. He's a good young player. He'll get there. It's just that it's a difficult task for him to go up against Jimmy Butler, who's who's a pest and also the heat have better players at almost every position on the court so when you have that it's hard to lose it's really really hard to lose on to the most disappointing series so far we have the houston rockets against the oklahoma city thunder houston is up two nothing i picked oklahoma city thunder to win this series in six before the series started 
because I thought that they would actually have a smart game plan to go into the series. But what have I learned? I've learned that Billy Donovan is an idiot. If you want to post a child for being a dumbass coach, Billy Donovan's your guy. You come into a series with a team that shoots more three-point shots than any other team in the NBA, possibly in NBA history, and you don't chase them off the line? You don't make it difficult for them to make baskets, push them to the basket, and make them make plays at the rim. Instead, they're just shooting threes. They shot 56 three-pointers. At what point do you say, yeah, we're not going to let them shoot no more threes? We're going to let them go to the basket. We're going to push them to the basket. And then offensively, their game plan is all wrong. They got Steven Adams. Steven Adams is the biggest guy in this series by far. But yet he's not getting the touches that he needs to get. They need to dump it down to Adams, let him wear these guys out, and then the shots will open up because they're going to start dumping down the lane, they're going to start trapping, and shots are going to start to open up. Houston is not a great defensive team. They're not terrible, but they're not a great defensive team. But the strategy that Oklahoma City has is just all wrong. They want to run with Houston. They want to shoot with Houston. You can't do either with this team. So I want to see what happens in Game 3, but if they continue like this, it's going to be over in four. Gallinari's playing great. I want to see them utilize a little bit more pick and roll with him and Chris Paul. I want to see some, some isolation in the post. Then they can be able to slow this game down. That's what they have to do, man. They have to slow this series to a crawl. They cannot try to run with Houston. You try to run with this team, it's good night. And they're doing all of this without Westbrook. And he's out for game three as well. So they may end up sweeping the Thunder without their second best player. The Rockets look sharp, man. They really do. It's going to be very interesting next round, man. Next round, that second round, they, there's some potential matchups that are blockbuster must-watch. The next series we're going to talk about, Clippers-Mavs. What a difference a game makes, right? Game one, game is going back and forth. The Mavericks look in control. Porzingis gets kicked out of the game. They were up five at that point. And then the Clippers kind of took the game over, right? They took the game over in the second half. The Mavs try to keep it close, but they ended up losing the game. Game two, they come out like gangbusters. They go ahead and beat the hell out of the Clippers. So what have we learned from these first two games of this series? Kane Fitzgerald. That's what we've learned. Because if it wasn't for that dumbass ref in game one, the Mavs should be up 2-0 right now. Because like I said before, before the series started, the Clippers have no answer for Porzingis. I said that Doc would be on that special stuff if he put no one in that game to try to guard Porzingis. They got no one. Zubac is trying to do a good job, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. And the fact that Kane Fitzgerald, that nice NBA ref that likes to put himself as a star of the game, inserted himself into game one and changed the dynamic of that game, he cost the Mavs momentum. Now, granted, it didn't stop them from winning game two, but could you imagine? They should be up 2-0 and looking for a commanding 3-0 lead. They can't guard Luka. The Clippers are supposed to be the best defensive team in the NBA. They're supposed to be able to beat you up, talk trash, and be tough guys. Luka is just brushing them off, going to the basket at will. There's nothing they can do. They're putting Marcus Morris on him. Yeah, sure. How is that working out? First game, he had 42 points. Next game, game two, he had 28 points. He was in a little foul trouble, but he still ended up getting over 25 points. They cannot stop that kid. 
he is not scared of the big moment. He said it after the game. He was like, I've, I've been in the playoffs already. This ain't nothing new to me. Just because the NBA has their own playoffs doesn't mean I wasn't doing this overseas already. And Paul George disappeared in game two. He was nowhere to be found. Had a terrible game. I think he shot four for 16, 14 points. He was not effective. And that's the thing with Paul George. I said it, and I said it time and time again. When you need Paul George to step up in a big pressure situation in the playoffs, he will let you down. So let's see what happens in game three if he can bounce back. I doubt it. Why? Because it's Paul George. Kawhi doesn't look like the same defender. He looks like he's not sliding his feet that great. But offensively, he's carrying the load for the Clippers. So you got to give him that. But then we turn our attention to the biggest cheerleader in the NBA, Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly is hurt now. He can't play. In game one, he tried to guard Luka. Luka dogged him, made him look terrible. So now he's relegated to the bench to be what he normally is, a cheerleader. Ah, man, I I love it. There's nothing I love more than to see Patrick Beverly struggle. The problem that the Clippers are having is that the Mavericks, Luka Doncic, they are not intimidated by the Clippers. So all of that tough guy stuff that they try to do to pick on the Mavericks, to bully the Mavericks, it's not working. Luka's just brushing it off like, come on, man. I've been here already. Man, oh man, it's going to be an interesting game three. And if they lose this series, because I did say Mavericks in six, but if they really lose, oh man, they better take Paul George's passport because he's going to be a flight risk. He's going to call other stars and see where he can be able to finagle and get his way out of town. That's what Paul George does. Last series we're going to cover is Lakers-Blazers. Blazers ended up winning game one. Dame had a great game, game one. The Lakers didn't look too good in game one. Game two, the Lakers came out and they blew the doors off of Portland. Dame gets hurt, dislocates his ring finger on his offhand, which honestly is a bigger concern than a lot of people are are talking about. That is your guide hand. That is your target hand. If you cannot use that hand to actually pinpoint where you want to put your shot, you're going to have some inconsistencies. So we'll see what happens because Dame said he is going to play in game three. And at this point, he really doesn't have a choice. So what have we learned from this series? Two games in, 1-1. We've learned that the Blazers look a little tired. And I can understand why. They were literally fighting for their playoff lives in the bubble. They had to win all eight games or do what they did, win six out of eight. And then the play-in game. So every game, every quarter was a high pressure situation so they've been in playoff mode since they got down here now the fact that they had to fight and claw to be in some of those games they look a little gassed right now because the two games that they played against the Lakers offensively they have not been sharp they scored 100 points in game one and you can't even really call it a cool hundred because those are garbage points at the end of the game and then in game two they really got the doors blown over them so offensively they just look a little tired to me on the Laker front What we've learned is that Anthony Davis is the key to this series. There is nobody in this series that can guard Anthony Davis. But in game one, Anthony Davis came out like he didn't want to play basketball. He actually looked like this was his first playoff series ever. Deer in the headlights, nervous, didn't want to go inside and deal with Nurkic or Whiteside, was settling for jump shots, was fading on his jump shots, which was very weird. It just didn't make sense to me. And after the game, I said it. I said, I am very concerned about Anthony Davis. I'm not talking about his health. I'm talking about his mental toughness to lead this team. 
He has to be their number one. LeBron James is 35 years old. He's still a great player, but he is slowing down. We can see that. So after all the scrutiny that he got after game one, he came out, was assertive in game two, and imposed his will on that team. When he did that, they had nothing left. They saw that this guy was out for business, and Portland had nothing. They weren't hitting down their outside shots, and kudos to the Lakers. In two games, defensively, they've really been sharp. What we also learned about the Lakers is that Danny Green is a problem. Danny Green can't hit anything right now. Danny Green is a liability. He's not great defensively anymore, and he's barely giving you any offense. So how is he still playable? It's really, really troublesome. They have to get him straight. If they don't get him straight, they're not going to win a championship. KCP is another one. Everybody knows who knows me close that I have a disdain for KCP for three years. Disdain for KCP. He was the master of the single triple that night. 29 minutes, one point, one rebound, one assist. How can you play a guy that many minutes and have that type of production? It was terrible. Game two, they fixed it. KCP came out. He hit some shots. Everybody looked smooth. J.R. Smith got some minutes. Waiters got some minutes that he didn't get in game one. So the Lakers looked really, really good. LeBron James... I'm a little concerned about LeBron James because he just doesn't look like he has that oomph right now. Maybe he's still trying to ramp himself up, so I'm going to see what he looks like come game three. But I'm a little concerned about LeBron right now, just a tad. Not much to be like, yo, we got a big problem, but I just want to see a little more. I am curious to see what these next few games look like, if the Lakers are going to be able to keep up their defensive dominance or Portland's going to be able to start making some shots and shock the world after the break we're going to talk a little nba lottery who won the lottery and what are the top five teams and what are the players that are going to go to those teams on a friday it's all leaving i am so stressed because i hate my job let me guess you're at a dead-end job and find it hard not to press the snooze button well come down to connecticut school of broadcasting we have campuses in Westbury, New York, Boston, Connecticut, New Jersey, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Develop your skills in broadcast media that include audio production, television, radio, and sports broadcasting. Learn from industry professionals in a small, intimate class setting for a better experience. The hands-on training is second to none. And if you're worried about what to do after graduation, the Connecticut School of Broadcasting helps you to get job placement. Take it from me. It took me seven years to get here, and it's been the best time of my life. Go to GoCSB.com or dial 1-800-887-2346 for a studio tour. And who knows, maybe you'll be the next media superstar. Welcome back, y'all. The NBA lottery is a wrap. The order is set, and we know exactly who's picking where. So I want to talk about the top five teams in the lottery. At number five, you got the Cleveland Cavaliers. At number four, you have the Chicago Bulls. At number three, you have the Charlotte Hornets. At number two, you got the Golden State Warriors. And the winner for the 2020 NBA lottery is the Minnesota Timberwolves. So there you have it. But who is going to be number one? Who is going to fill out the top five? According to Yahoo Sports, their mock draft, they have Edwards going one. They have LaMelo Ball going two. They have Obi Toppin going three. 
They got Tyrese Halliburton going forward to the Bulls, and they have Denny Abdija going to the Cavs. Not a bad top five, but honestly, mine is a little different. And my picks are going off of need. So at number one, Minnesota, they have to take Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is a great dynamic guard. He led all freshmen in scoring last year. He has a little bit of Dwayne Wade in him, a little bit of Donovan Mitchell. He can be exactly what the Minnesota Timberwolves need on that wing. D'Angelo Russell is not really a true point guard. Edwards can do a lot of ball handling as well, so they're going to have an interchangeable backcourt, which I like. Carl Anthony Towns is the man, so you're going to have a good big three right there. Now, here's where my top five changes. They got LaMelo Ball going to the Warriors. I don't see that. I think James Wiseman is the pick here for the Golden State Warriors. They don't need LaMelo Ball. What they need is a mobile big man, and James Wiseman fills that category. He can run. He can shoot a little bit. He has a good touch. He can block shots. He can rebound. That kid is phenomenal. And that is a need that the Golden State Warriors must have. They can be able to put Draymond Green back to the power forward position and have a traditional lineup. Wiseman can shoot it. And with this bunch, you know that shooting is a premium. Shooting is a must. This is a guy that fits seamlessly into this particular lineup. It's actually pretty scary when you think about it. Number three, I have LaMelo Ball. The Hornets need a point guard. He's a dynamic point guard. He can handle the ball. He's 6'7". He may end up growing to 6'8". He's a tremendous talent. His shooting mechanics are suspect, but that shouldn't be a shock to anybody because LeVar Ball is his dad. And LeVar Ball doesn't know what shooting mechanics are supposed to look like. Look at Lonzo. Look at Jello. They all shoot terrible. He never fixed LaMelo's shot from when he was a child. LaMelo shoots with a two-hand release. That means that when he was a kid, he didn't have enough strength to push the ball over the rim. As he gets older and stronger, that jump shot was supposed to change, and LeVar never did it. So now this kid's developing all of these great skills, and he has this elementary jump shot. So I think going to Charlotte with Jordan there, I think they can be able to kind of help him restructure that, that jump shot, restructure those mechanics, and be able to be a consistent scorer at the next level. I'm sure Jordan probably hates LeVar's guts, but at the end of the day, he needs talent. And he can't take it too personal. LeVar Ball is a big mouth. Everybody knows that. But he's harmless. He's not doing nothing. Jordan is going to make sure that he stays on the wraps, stays on the control. So that's not going to be an issue there. At number four, I think the Chicago Bulls take Danny Avdija. With Kobe White already there and them thinking about moving Levine to another team. Avdija at 6'9", with his shooting ability, he can be able to stretch the floor. This is what the NBA is now. With his length, he can be able to cause some disruption on the defensive end as well. At number five, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers draft Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin is a great offensive player. He can score the basketball. He is wild athletic. The fact that they have their two guards already, Sexton and Garland, Obi Toppin just slides in and fits seamlessly with this lineup. He gives them the athletic punch that they need on that wing. So that rounds out my top five of the NBA draft. But before I move on, I like to get out my bottle of Nick fans tears and drink a little bit right now. <laughs> the Knicks dropped to eighth in the lottery. Everybody's upset. Listen, it's not the end of the world. Obviously, you guys are not going to get a super duper pick. But you can get some value down there. I think Tyrese Halliburton is the guy to, to pinpoint. 
So if the Knicks have to move up a couple spaces or even move all the way into the top four, they can be able to dictate that and get themselves a player. I think they can be able to, to do that. But in the meantime, I like to just enjoy the misery. All of my friends that are Knicks fans, they're just depressed because year after year, they think that they're going to get the number one pick and it just never happens. I just think that Adam Silver has it out for the Knicks. <laughs> oh, man. Turning our attention to some interesting news with some old guys in the NBA having a Twitter beef. You got George Call going against Mark Jackson. What is going on here, fellas? So apparently Mark Jackson had made a comment about Carmelo Anthony being on the Blazers now, saying that how great he looks defensively and how he's committing to whatever philosophy that they have. And he never did that before. And the coaches before him, you know, never held him accountable. So they're supposed to be at fault as to why he didn't develop on the defensive end. And George Carl took it so personally. He took to Twitter and bashed Mark Jackson. So he said, and I quote, remind me, how many all-star teams did you coach, Mark? How many defensive player of the years? How many finals appearances? How many of my teams became dynasties right after I left? Shots. George Carl didn't have to do that. <laughs> Come on, man. I think what, what he was really saying is that he's really happy that Melo has finally came to his senses and committed to the defensive end. We know that Melo has always had an issue on the defensive end that he's never truly committed. And I remember George Call wrote his book that came out in 2017 that documented all the issues that he had with Carmelo Anthony's ability to accept playing on the defensive end. You know how this thing goes. It's a coaching fraternity. So once a coach feels that another coach is taking a shot, he's going to defend himself. He's definitely going to defend himself. And then Mark Jackson came back and was like, Yo, I wasn't even thinking about you, George Call, but yo, you never beat me in the playoffs, and you never beat me when I was a player either. So, it's, listen, it's two old guys going at it. It's pretty entertaining, but both of these old dudes need to sit their asses down and cool out. <laughs> On Mark Jackson's part, he needs to just appreciate Melo for what he's doing now because we never seen this type of Melo before in regards to defense. Be happy. Don't try to make it something else. And on George Carl's end, just enjoy retirement, man. You're a legendary coach. You're a Hall of Famer. Just leave it at that. It's always hard for an established, winning, successful coach to try to get through to a young star sometimes. Sometimes that, that age divide is really difficult to, to get over. And I think that was the problem between George Carl and Carmelo Anthony. I think at some point, that fence will be mended. Carmelo Anthony will get his jersey retired with the Nuggets. And they will squash their, their feud and kind of be adults and appreciate the time that they had together. Because they did do a lot of special things. They didn't get to an NBA final, but they had some really good teams in Denver. So pretty good success. Coming up after the break, the Vikings and Dalvin Cook are at an impasse on a Friday. And so are leaving. Yo, yo, what up? It's your boy DJ G Money representing that flip the script podcast but listen right now i'm listening i'm tuned in i'm tapped in to a brand new podcast called the all even podcast with my man barry grant yo b what's up man congrats on the new podcast i'm listening right now i'm tuned in fire fire all even we here let's go welcome back y'all so how many times would you allow somebody to slap you in the face before you put your hands up 
How many times do you actually have to play Mr. Nice Guy? Before you say, F this, I'm not gonna be Mr. Nice Guy anymore. I'm gonna show them that I mean business. The Minnesota Vikings and Dalvin Cook are at a contract impasse. They have stopped talks. We have no idea if the talks are ever gonna be restarted again. So the Vikings have literally slapped Dalvin Cook in the face. And he's been playing Mr. Nice Guy. He's shown up to camp. He's saying all the right things. He just wants to be a good teammate, a good leader, but he also wants his money. He deserves his money. He's one of the top 10 running backs in all of football. He had one of the best years in football last year. So this guy deserves a raise. What's the holdup? The issue is that running backs are looked at as a liability position. They don't want to invest big money long term because of all the wear and tear that a running back gets. I get that. I understand that. But at the same time, Dalvin Cook is a part of your offense. He's a big part of your offense. Without Dalvin Cook, Cousins doesn't have a good year last year. Without Dalvin Cook, that defense doesn't get the rest that they need. Without Dalvin Cook, that team does not go to the playoffs. So why the holdup? We saw Derrick Henry have a career year last year, and he had to settle for a franchise tag. Why does this have to be the issue for running backs? I don't like it. I'm not saying that a running back deserves $20 million a season, but more and more, these great running backs that we have in our league are having to fight for their money. It shouldn't be this way. They should be able to compensate this guy and keep that core of players together. He's been playing nice guy this whole time. I don't think that they want Dalvin Cook to get upset, to start turning on the franchise. That's not a good look for Minnesota. So they need to get this deal done and get this deal done as soon as possible. You don't want this to ruin the momentum that you guys had from last season. You got to lock up your best player. Everybody else is getting paid, but Dalvin Cook is waiting around. Come on, that, that, that just sends a bad message. It really does. Kirk Cousins, who's a crumb bum quarterback, gets guaranteed money, but Dalvin Cook got to wait for his bag. What, what kind of bizarro world do we live in? Come on, man. Without the running attack, the play-action pass means nothing, especially for this team and this bum-ass quarterback. Come on. Get it together, Minnesota. I don't want to see y'all going down the wrong path. Dalvin Cook, pay the man. Turning our attention to the Kansas City Chiefs, they're making some changes to their fan gear. They're saying that they don't want fans to dress up in any Chiefs stuff, in any war paint, any anything that, that resembles anything Native American. And listen, I agree with it. I agree with this stance that they're taking. At the end of the day, I don't understand why the fans were doing it anyway. Like, I get fans are nuts, but why would you want to do this? Why would you want to dress up in war paint and... It's just dumb. Like, just go to the game, put a Chiefs shirt on, get your hat, drink your beer, and that's it. Why you got to dress up like a dumbass? I just... So the fact that they're taking this stance and switching it, it makes sense. Set the example for everybody else. So maybe next year when baseball possibly has fans, the Cleveland Indians will take the same type of stance and not have idiots dressed up in Native American stuff. I know, I know, I know it's an idea that baseball may not understand or comprehend because Rob Manfred is too busy looking at a headlight and getting confused and looking like a deer. 
That's what he normally does. So I'm not expecting much out of Major League Baseball. However, on Saturn News, the Subway Series between the Mets and the Yankees has been postponed. You know why? Because the Mets players have tested positive for COVID-19. Of course. Of course, yes. What else can go wrong with this shit team? Nothing. Nothing. This is the icing on the cake. Yes, the Mets have COVID. I have nothing else. That's it. Because if I end up talking more about this, I'm going to get really mad and I have to check my blood pressure. You know what? Screw it. I don't understand how they just don't know how to police their players and their staff. You are an organization full of rich people, full of people that have jobs that you can be able to say, hey, can you watch these people? Hey, we can put a a guy in charge to be able to police things and have protocol be enforced. What is going on here? I don't understand. Is this... We're like the bad news bears, man. God damn it. I I don't have anything left right now. I just don't have any more energy for the Mets. I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I, I need a couple days off from the Mets. I need just a couple days off to be able to recharge the battery. Because I'm on E. I ain't got nothing, man. The Mets are like that nagging girlfriend that you just can't get away from. And the minute that she says, okay, I'm going to my cousin's house for the weekend, you're like, oh, thank God. Thank God I get a couple days to just kind of like recharge the battery and lick my wounds because my eardrums are going to get beat up again. Ah. Coming up, the greatest segment on the planet, Dummy of the Week. On a Friday. It's all leaving. This is a public service announcement. Down in your luck. Tired of being curved? Sick of going out with the fellas and being the only loser without a lady? Well, I got something for you. It's called Sex Panther. Legend has it that it's made out of real bits of real panther, so you know it's good. To men, it stings the nostrils. But to women, you may as well be a slab of meat in a dog pound. And that's not all it does. You could be getting ready to see that special fox and disaster hits. No money in the budget for gas, only dinner for two. No problem. The fumes from Sex Panther can give your car 38 miles to the gallon. Sold you yet? I thought so. For $69.99, go from unlovable loser to the cock in the walk. Sex Panther. 60% of the time, it works. Every time. Welcome back, y'all. So without further ado, the greatest segment on the planet, Dummy of the Week. We pick candidates on Monday and Friday, and then we pick the winner on that Friday show. On Monday, we have Major League Baseball. Fortunately for them, they are not the winners today. Our next candidate is Oscar De La Hoya. Oscar De La Hoya is a candidate for Dummy of the Week because this man is 47 years old and said that he wants to return to boxing. Why? Why would anybody watch you box? You were washed up when you lost, when you retired. So why would anybody want to watch you at 47? Who's paying $60 to watch you get beat up? Maybe I will. Maybe I would pay that one time $60 to see you get knocked out and sent back into retirement. (laughs) What is going on with these old fighters? Everybody wants to come back. This is not a sport where you can make a comeback. This is not the one, bro. This is not golf. This is not basketball. This is not WWE. 
This is boxing where people hit you. And when you get older, your skills diminish and your speed diminishes and your cognitive ability diminishes. So you're going against some young guy that's younger than you. He's going to beat you from pillar to post. <laughs> I don't know, man. I can't I can't respect De La Hoya. Ever since I saw those pictures of him dressing up in that woman's underwear or lingerie. Yo, it's a wrap. You can't do nothing else to save yourself. <laughs> I'm done with you. Done. But unfortunately, you are not the winner this week. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a tie. For the first time in Dummy of the Week's short history... We have a co-dummy of the week. May I have the drum roll, please? And the winner is... Tom Brenneman and John Locke. Now, these two idiots are my... Because Tom Brenneman, who does commentary for the Cincinnati Reds for Major League Baseball, says some homophobic slurs on air. On air. Like, and the dude wasn't drunk. He wasn't drunk at all. I don't I don't get it. <laughs> and then on top of that, he then issues an apology during the game. And while he's issuing the apology, he calls a home run. They got some brave dummies out here, man. Th these guys are just getting more and more advanced in the art of stupidity. I doubt that he will ever call another baseball game. Or maybe he will. Maybe, maybe time will heal and then they'll be able to forgive him and he'll be able to work in Major League Baseball again. But until then, he's going to be working in his basement. <laughs> Calling commentary for Pornhub. <laughs> Yo, this dude is the worst. But man, does it get better. John Locke, who is the first play-by-play -play guy for the Charlotte Hornets, has gotten suspended indefinitely because... He tweeted out during the game for the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. But instead of saying the Denver Nuggets, this idiot types the N-word. <laughs> you can't make this up. So then he issued an apology saying, oh, he didn't mean it. But here's my thing. I don't really know about smartphones like that all too well. But I do know this. If you have autocorrect in your phone and you use a word more than once, and you use it all the time, that word would now be saved in the bank. So the fact that he typed this and his phone did not correct him, he's been using this word all along. This man is a N-word dropper on a consistent basis. And his phone was just like, okay, you want to go with this? I'm not even going to stop you because this is normally what you say on a Sunday, on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Friday. <laughs> And what makes it better is that he has a black owner. The guy that signs his checks is a black man. I hope that the Denny's that he applies to has a black manager. And the black manager recognizes him and has him on toilet duty for the entirety of his shift. All he's doing is shoveling shit all day long. So John Locke and Tom Brenneman, you guys may never win an announcer of the year award. But just know that you are co-winners for Dummy of the Week. That's all for this week. I hope you guys have a great weekend. i see you guys on Monday. Until then, stay safe. Stay cool. Peace.
You can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at All Even Podcast. Listen to the show on SoundCloud. And check out my YouTube channel, All Even Podcast. And don't forget to share, like, and hit that subscribe button. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.